G'day guys and welcome back to the Bradley J. Driver Experience, the future number one podcast in the world. It is in fact your host, Bradley J. Driver. You can call me Brad, the captain. You can call me the pilot or the man in charge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your puppy chulo for the duration of today's podcast episode. And it's my absolute pleasure to be sitting behind the mic yet again to share another in-depth conversation with you all. Whether this be the first or one of many times that you've tuned into the show, I want to say thank you so much for your support. It's you that keeps the show alive and thriving, and you can continue to show your support by hitting the all-important follow or subscribe buttons, leaving a five-star rating and raving review on Apple Podcast app, and sharing this with just one or a few friends. I want to continue to reach a new audience to inspire and change more lives. That's the reason that I am here. But enough about me. And on to today's pod, we're going to dive in deep on another conversation. And without further ado, I'm going to leave you to the show in today's introduction. I'm sure if you're listening, you've heard of the Kokoda track. It's 96 kilometers of unrelenting trail through Papua New Guinea, obviously famous from that World War II battle. But the crazy thing about Kokoda is that for most people, it takes three days to conquer. Many few, or only few, I should say, have conquered it in a little less time. This man thought, you know what, Rome wasn't built in a day, but what if Papua New Guinea's Kokoda track could be conquered in one? And that's what he set out to do. We're going to hear about how all the inspiration for this event become about and how we went on to conquer it all the challenges and changes along the way that come with today's society and the world that we're living in. And I'm just very excited to have Mr. Adam Everill sitting in front of me. How are you, brother? Doing good, man. Um, I need to give you a correction, though. No one does it in three days. Yeah. <laughs> is that, isn't that usually <laughs> they, they what do they it, set out to they do? They do it between... Uh, six is usually the minimum. Six. And 14. There you go. So I must have been listening to some of the elites. The magic numbers, nine and ten. The, they're currently doing wow. an ultra, where they had an ultra set up to do it in three days. So the, the, the ultra race was going to be across three days. Maybe so, that's where I've heard it. So three days is, is elite. There's a, probably less than 10 people that have done it under 24 hours. So that sets the scene even a little greater. Yeah. The idea of conquering this in a day or 24 hours. Where did that come about? Uh, it's a story that goes back to starting to run so going from being a non-runner with a five kilometer pb to my co-founder saying that she as a really not a very fit person at all was going to run her first marathon for the organization raise money for her she was going to go to dublin and i was like that's so that's so inspirational that you would do that that you'd like run a marathon out of nowhere and just like jackie always does dedicated trained every week you know multiple times a week and i was like yeah, yeah i'll get I'll, i'm gonna train with you and i'm gonna do it in solidarity that's so awesome because i was fairly fit i just wasn't a runner and um i didn't do that <laughs> and come the week of i was like ah oh, this is the week like what have you done man you said you were gonna do it and so on the tuesday i got my my pb of 11 kilometers and that hurt quite a bit i was like i could probably keep on going and then Listening to David Goggins, You Can't Hurt Me, yeah. that week, on the audiobook, 
um, and going through a breakup, a real crushing one with who was my fiance at the time. I was just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this on the day that she does it. I'm gonna do a marathon. Um, so I did a marathon without training on, on the Saturday Amazing. that week, and then that gave me the <coughs> gave me the idea that you know a lot, a whole lot was possible. You can do way beyond what you think you can do. Um, whatever you think your ceiling is, and I said this for the event for people as well, double it, I bet you can do it. So when I got that feeling, when I, when I smashed myself through that marathon, I was like, oh, what, what else could be, could be done here? And not long after I was in Bougainville, laying down, I got the thought, like, what would really attract people to raise some money and some awareness, especially Aussies? And I was like, Kokoda, oh yeah, I could do that in a day. Um, could see if anyone's ever done that. How long is it? 96 kilometers. Yeah, that can be done. And then proceeded to Google. A few people had done it. Um, no one had done it in about 10 years. And uh, yeah, I, th- wow. I thought that was the move. The last person to do it was actually a few years ago. They got airlifted out halfway. Oh. Yeah. So the plan was to do it there. Yeah. And to take some, hopefully high-powered Aussies over there that wanted to try and do it in three days maybe or five days or, or if there was someone who wanted to do it in a day with me, then let's have a crack. Um, that was the big plan, then COVID hit. Yeah. Uh, but I was training for that. That was, that was, the, that was the move. Uh, but we didn't want to let that stop it. So there came a time a few months ago where I said, we're either, we're either doing it over there or we're doing it here and then had to make the call to do it here. So tried to replicate as good as possible Kokoda. I've been on Kokoda. I've stepped foot on there. I haven't done the whole thing. I just took a day pass and it's brutal. It's like the steep up and down. And so I feel like we replicated that pretty well on the the Illawarra Escarpment. Some some deadly stuff. Definitely. Talk to me about the Kokoda track itself. How many thousand metres of elevation are there in that actual track? Yeah, six and a half thousand. <clears throat> uh, so that's over the height of Kilimanjaro by like a thousand meters. So that's and that's like, the stuff that hurts, bro. That's yeah. the stuff that really hurts. Man, when you're not doing it, you like you really feel it. Like we were talking before about yeah. throwing a few heels in when you're yeah. a flat runner, and it and it smashes you. Um, with with ultras, they say specificity is king. You know, that's what Zach Bitter says. He's the he's the hundred miler champion, like world record holder. And so, when you're training for that stuff, you've got to just find uphills constantly. And that Definitely, is, that is like uh, the uphills and the downhills that are even worse. Like you got to put your body through that constantly. So six and a half thousand meters up and down is, I think, uh, if you think about Sublime Point for locals out here, it's something like uh, twenty of those. Um, maybe more. It's like it's a lot. Yeah, well, it's a lot. yeah, it's a lot. And and people don't realize, you know, you think uphill comes with that downhill pleasure, but the downhill ain't pleasure when it's that steep because no. it ruins your quads no. even more. It's not at all. The downhill stops being fun um, after you know you get to a certain amount of k's. Yeah, this particular one it happened earlier than than I it normally would, and it is. Um, until you have it I mean people get runner's knee you, yeah. you hear about runner's knee so anyone who's had runner's knee will, will know what we're talking about this kind of pain it could be at the front of your knee or the sides and you're like oh that doesn't that doesn't feel good it's that ramped up to a thousand and then yeah. constant with every step um, 
yeah, once you get to those high kilometers, those downhills are your enemy. I was still powering up up the uphills at, in the last um, in the last kilometers, but my downhills were at a snail's pace. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. Talk to me about. Obviously, you said it was a little while back that you had the first inspiration for this event to raise money and to continue to do so and to do something that is, you know, it's quite an achievement. Like, you know, forget the distance, forget the elevation. That idea of Kokoda is crazy. And even then what you've come and done here in our local area is unbelievable. Where did then that go from there? So at what point in time was it like, okay, this is an idea and now we need to put this into practice and we need to start planning, we need to start training at what point in time did all that happen? I was, I'd been talking about it and not really training for yeah. a little bit. It's like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, but because we couldn't set a date, COVID was just, you know, uh, and, and there's so much politics in trying to organise it as well on the track. It's not just as simple as turning up. Um, and a whole campaign we wanted to build around it. So I, I decided that I wanted to do it um, early in the year, but I think I'd, I started using the hashtag Kokoda No Sleep. So I was saying I wanted to do it without sleeping originally. Okay. I was like, I could do it without sleeping. So it was Kokoda No Sleep, not Kokoda in a Day originally. Okay. I think that came around February. So I did my first ultra distance on my own in New Zealand, um, six, 57 kilometres up and down some mountains, and, and that's when I was like, oh. Is this in Feb? This, that was in... January. In January. Yeah, so that's the first time. I How did that feel? Man, I got lost. Uh, for the first four hours, I got lost. It took me four hours to do 10 kilometres because I was well and truly lost by myself in, in New Zealand. I was on the complete wrong part of a river. Yeah. And um, when you know you're trying to do a multi-day hike in a day and you spend the first four hours stuck on a mountainside not knowing where the track is, it's a pretty rough way to start. Yeah, definitely. As soon as I found the track, I, I, I went... Um, like nipple deep through freezing cold water across the river and I just started running. I was like, I'm here. And I was so excited that I found it. Yeah. And I was four hours behind. That took me something like 17, 18 hours to do 57 kilometres. Yeah, well, quite, quite a bit of up and down through snow, like all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, but such an awesome feeling, like just amazing. Um, and so I kind of knew I could do it then. So I was, I was putting it out there a little bit, but not making a big fuss out of it, like still kind of just dipping my foot in. And then COVID was happening. And actually COVID kind of took it all out of me, to be honest. I was like, oh man, I had this big idea. You know, and the idea was tied to raising money for my organisation. We, we lost yeah. a bunch of funding. My organisation's my family. Like people, we had to let go, you know, right around Christmas, we had to let people go. And Jackie and I sometimes really do feel like parents yeah like that's of course. it's a it is a uh, it, it's well and truly a family for us but beyond that like we get to help a lot of people and when you have that and when you have money taken away or you can see really good opportunities that you can't fund that's when you start to go what what's the crazy shit that i can do what what can i do personally, personally. to bring something in to create a buzz to do whatever so i got really down in February or March or couldn't tell you when it was but when everything was kind of falling apart would have been March and April actually um, and I stopped running I was like well it's not going to happen it's not going to happen and then after about a month I was like we're doing it I'm going to be over there or it's going to be here 
Um, and really, probably the last three months is where I really kicked up training yeah. and, and really started putting it out there. I think probably three months ago, I, I was like, it's Kokoda in a day now. I love that. <laughs> Doing it in a day. It's happening under 24 hours. Um, and yeah, it just started to build, man. And then so like injuries, all sorts of stuff has happened in that three months, like real concerns over a lot of stuff. Um, made the call to make it in Australia probably two and a half months before we did it. Yeah. And where, you know, how did you scope out and pick that location? So obviously you go in Oz, you know, air travel's very limited at the moment, mm. if, you know, if not impossible at the time of the event, especially. You pick Mount Kira. Yeah. Why Mount Kira? Because if you walk out the back of my house and you look up, there it is. <laughs> so you just had to conquer that fear and that challenge every day. Man, no, it's, um, it's partly that, partly the terrain there. But that's where I was training for Kokoda, right? Okay. And I, what I was finding is, you know, I've gone through a massive personal journey myself, even even whilst being in the organization. Like, I started an organization that was based around sport, yet I was I was quite overweight, really unhealthy, not in a great space myself when, when I started it. And I've, I've personally gone through a massive change. And what what we're trying to help create in, in PNG and, and now with the – Equal Playing Field Office in Australia is, is really, really help understand, that people understand the importance of getting out, moving, all the things that you have around you at your disposal. You don't need weights. You don't, you don't need classes. If you don't have the money, there's so much that you can be doing yeah, to, to be healthy and feel good about yourself. And I'm running these trails, getting ready to go over to Kokoda in my backyard that I never did growing up. And I'm like sucking in this air, spending hours at a time in nature. And I'm like, what? Like, this is magical. Yeah. There's all these mountain bike trails and trails and like I'm seeing like all these animals and it's just, it, it just felt amazing. And I just, I was just like, well, what? Why would I do it anywhere else? If we're doing it here. We should do it in my backyard. There's, there's mountain bike trails there as well that I'm going up these trails and I, I had done them, I, I had done Kokoda first. Like seen Kokoda first, and I was like, "This is like very Kokoda-like." I'm scrambling up mud. You've got to use your hands to climb up yeah. some of these sections because they they build them to be difficult to come down. So I wanted the rough track. I, I didn't want to just plenty of people, not plenty, but a fair few people would have got those stats before that 96 and whatever the elevation, <coughs> but they would have done them on nice groomed tracks and the average. Um, the average kind of gradient would have been something that you could kind of run up. With what we had, it was more like Kokoda. It's going to be steep up, steep down, and you're going to have some flats. Definitely. So, so it's hard. It's not, it is not the fastest track you could run for that distance and yeah. elevation, but it, it was close, at least in my experience, to what Kokoda would have been like. So I wanted to replicate that in training so I could handle it over there and then, so if I'm doing that for the training and then all of a sudden we've got to do it here, why not do it in the backyard? I love that. Yeah. I love that. And, and talk to me, like, when you're preparing for this, you, you said it yourself, like, you weren't exactly in the best shape when you started the organisation. You're obviously now, times have changed. You're, you're in great shape. You keep yourself fit. And you really do look after yourself in all aspects of your life. But how is that training? It's obviously so new to anything you've done before. Do you, do you seek professional advice? Do you, you know, look out to people who have done Kokoda before? Do you talk to coaches? Like, where does that all start to play a part? Uh, I've always done a lot on my own. 
yeah. a whole lot of study on my own. But I think, you know, uh, I'm going to butcher the, the quote, but what, is, what does Bruce Lee say about, you know, taking, taking from other people and, and, and creating and, and making your own? Yeah. So um, I, I had a little, like, podcast with Zach Bitter, 100-miler champion, learned some stuff off him, uh, watched a bunch of his yeah. stuff, uh, but then realized that I was getting a lot of advice from someone who does a lot of flat. Yeah. So after a while, I was like, well, this doesn't make sense. The diet stuff doesn't make sense for me and my body type. But some of it did, you know, so I took some parts of that. Yeah. Um, my best teacher was my body, 100%. When, when you spend 20 hours a week training specifically on this stuff, you, you really start to tune into when your body needs fuel, to when your body's a bit Definitely. damaged. Like anything. It's like... If you if you spend twenty hours a week juggling, fuck, you'd be a good juggler, you know. If if you spend twenty hours doing anything, focused work, you're gonna get you're gonna get a lot better at it. So just the accumulation of hours and tuning into the body because you're breathing, you're kind of getting meditative, you're, you're getting into space. I don't really listen to anything probably for ninety five percent of the time. Yeah, I'm to the me, same actually. Nature, yeah. I kind of can't. I feel like it puts me off. Yeah, it's cheap. I like to tune in. <laughs> hey, I like to tune in. And, you know, the thing I found with my journey running lately is you just said it there. You, you really learn best from your own body. But what I've found is you learn to understand your body when you're actually sore and when you're not, when yeah. you know you can push yourself and, and yeah. when you can't. And, you know, what may have felt like an oncoming injury, you know, when you weren't training for this sort of thing and you weren't so in tune is now just like, this will be okay, yeah. and I know it will be okay. 100%. But talk to me about those points throughout that training journey leading up yeah. to the event where you start to have, because I don't care who you speak to, anyone who conquers something big is going to have a challenge along the way, whether that's injury, whether it's mental, whether it's something logistically that comes along that really plays a part in making mm. this event hard to achieve. Did you have any of those moments? And, and sort of how do you define them? And move forward. There was injuries. There was <laughs> social unrest. Man, there was, there was all sorts of stuff. Um, the injuries, uh, there was a period where I was getting really stoked with my training. I was starting to peak, but I was peaking too early. But I was just like, the ego of it, what happens when you're looking at Strava and, and your Garmin all the time sometimes? You get those kudos, bro, and oh, you're like, Oh, you're getting swept up. Well, it's, for me, it's not the kudos. It's always the... Um, there's those little internal goals for, for yourself yeah. and, and for me I realised that my elevation was climbing like my weekly elevation was looking stacked and I was doing 115Ks um, a week for a while and, and I was getting I was like I'm going to do Everest this week and I, and I, was, I was looking at my climb I was like I'm going to do Everest so I really pushed myself this one week because I knew I could get the Everest elevation in, in a week and um, I then I, there was some other badge on Strava or whatever. It was like, I was supposed to be having a rest week. And if I just did a little bit more than I, than I said I was going to do, I was going to get this stupid badge for like 4,000 kilometers in the, in the month or something. I was like, yeah. oh, I just did a little bit more. Yeah. And then I wake up the Monday to go for my, my normal run. I put my thing and I go, go down on the street, ready to run up the mountain and central nervous system shot. I couldn't actually turn the motor on. Weirdest oh, wow. feeling. My, I was like, come on. I couldn't, the, the, the sort of brain-body connection was not, so, you know, 
how my understanding of physiology is that you know you, you're sending these kind of neurochemicals to to fire your muscles yeah. your brain was like no man we're not doing that and when the cns fries bro it fries yeah. like your body starts to get sick it starts to shut down i was gone as a week that was a week well and truly off i just couldn't like i could not fire it was it was the strangest thing and then on top of that a, a couple of people like they were having different climb to me different elevation i was like oh and i i hate the idea of it not being right mine yeah, was telling same, me mine so was telling particular. me more and i was like i can't have any any idea that I didn't do the right amount. So I was like checking if the watch was wrong and then I, I just went and sprung and spent a bunch of money on the best I could get. Yeah. <laughs> and that watch was 25% off, as in like it was telling me oh. 25% extra. So I went from super confidence, smashing over my case, like way above the level I needed to be, thought I was peaking. And I said, like, nah, man, you're barely yeah. there. Fuck. And, now, and, now you're, and now you can't move. What are you going to do? And um, man, that was that was a that was a bit of a whack to the system because I had so much confidence. And how far out from the event are you at this point? Oh, I think I was a month out. I think I was a month. So out that's out. close. Yeah, bro, that's close. Then um, then I came. Then I had a week off, and then I came back, and I was like, "Well, I gotta I gotta smash this back up again." Um, it's probably five weeks out. So I had two weeks of roughly two weeks of then really building up. Um, proper elevation, like getting my weekly elevation and my K's up, and um, and then during my taper, uh, my back went. Oh God! And the backs are one thing that you just you don't want the back to go. Yeah, because you feel it with everything, right? Man, and that was uh, I've had a bad back since I was fourteen. I've had I've had disc issues. So I've got six discs that aren't amazing in my spine um so i've had this like repeated bulge issues um in elf uh four three four and five that stopped me walking periodically yeah but i've learned especially over the last few years that i can i can get past those things but when you have this whole plan set up to taper and to do everything to come in to, to be a peak performance and you can't do those things Man, Takes was, the wind out of your ass. Oh, dude, like again, it's just these knocks to the confidence. It's like, oh, that's going to shave some time off you. You know, you're not going to be at the top. You know, you, like you keep thinking these things. And then, but again, it's another good test because I was felt sorry for myself for a few days. And then I was like, man, you say this to other people and you know it to be true. Like nothing's ever going to be perfect. And actually the days when it is perfect and you turn up with the very best camp or whatever, probably the days you're going to, fuck up because everything was too perfect so like life is ne you never walk in anything uh in perfect condition so whatever you get fuck back you'll get through whatever, whatever. Yeah. It, it is what it is um so yeah there was that the, the most stressful thing though the craziest thing is the most stressful thing out of all of that is we were running on mountain bike trails now these mountain bike trails are effectively illegal and um, I remember, I remember hearing a bit about this, and it looked frustrating as man. And most of the mountain bike community, like I'm so thankful for what they've developed up there. It's really cool. Um, really, like I used to climb up that creek and and that mountain bush bash all the time as a kid. Um, and now they've got these cool trails for people to enjoy our escarpment. But there's a segment of that population that 
really feel ownership over it and did yeah. not like the fact that there was people hiking on it. And I spent so many hours tagging it out, mm. putting tags up so people could follow my course. Um, and they kept getting t- torn down. Fuck, that just does your head in. Because oh, it's just another job, isn't it? Man, and it's a con- like I'm up there to train, so I don't want to be stopping every while and, and hanging up these things. Yeah. And my mum my mom, my did the uh, like cutting and laminating and hole punching. And yeah. oh, man, it got me furious. Nothing, nothing got me raging this whole time except for that and and i was just furious and the the imagery that would burn in my head um sometimes when i was running i was trying to work out whether it was fuel or whether it was detracting from me but actually i think it was fuel definitely um but uh look most because they were ripping them down weren't they oh they were tearing them down man tearing them down a lot of time leaving them on the ground too so it was like an it was equally like you're telling me you love this place that you're leaving it on the yeah um, but most just wanted to live in harmony, you know, so that, that was a few individuals, just like a lot of these things, you know, it's a few individuals that mess it up for everyone else. And, um, so that was really tough. I just had to switch off social media after a while. Cause I just realized that that was gassing me more than anything, more than yeah. training was my sitting there with some keyboard warriors that wouldn't, I was telling them to show me, show me your face. Who is the person who's taking down my stuff? So you can look at me and at least tell me. Yeah. Why you're doing it? Help me understand, because yeah. I cannot understand why someone would do this. Yeah. And that just took too much from me. So Especially like, when the, it. you know, the the purpose of the event is to raise money yeah. for a cause. You know, you're out here doing something extraordinary. There's so many people behind it, and so many people behind the movement that are also competing on the day, and it's a part of safety too. Yeah. Is knowing that course and having it marked out. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there was a final blow where. Not long before the actual event itself, they were removed again. Man, it happened three times. Yeah. And, and also, I went up... Another physical issue is I was, I was doing strength training, weight training way too close to the event. I thought I'd be fine. I was yeah. doing some like knees over toes stuff, stuff that really put strain on the knees way too close to the event. And then I was out there. I did 15Ks the day before of trekking and putting up signs again. Because again, I didn't, want to, I didn't want people to get lost. You know, I yeah. felt responsibility, responsibility over it. Even though I kept saying, you're on your own. Here's the course. Work it out. I was still like, I want to put these things yeah. up. So I'm out there the day before putting them up. And they were still there when I went uh, the day of. And during the day, they were getting pulled out. Yeah. So I had some pulled the day before after I put them there. And then I had sampled the day of. But, you, you know, deal with it, right? by that time I was forward. just running and I was like, you guys will work it out. So heaps of people got lost, but... Hey, night before the event, laying down to rest, are you getting any sleep or not? Man, I, I did. You did? Yeah, yeah, I did. I... Because I, I knew I was going to get up early. I'd been going to bed earlier and earlier every, every night. Um, and so I, I wanted to get a 7 p.m. bedtime... I was laying in bed with my eyes wide open at 7 p.m. Yeah. Um, but I drifted off at 8 and I woke up peaking at 12.40. And I was like, do I look at the watch? Oh, that's good enough. I was going to wake up at 2, 12.40, good enough. Yeah. Um, man, so that was like four hours, I reckon, I got of somewhat sleep. And that's pretty bloody good. That's like pretty I, good the night before was, an event like that. I was like stoked that. with that, man. Yeah, so there was a lot of... Um, <coughs> breath and meditation work the days previous um 
I, I worked really hard to kind of bring my, my level down despite the stress that day before um, and just give myself all the opportunities to sort of shift the body clock a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And then waking up morning of, did you have a set time or were you able just to go and start conquering as soon as you oh, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you like. So, I mean, the idea was that it was an event, it was an unofficial event. Right? It was always me doing my thing and I was encouraging people to replicate their own sort of thing, challenge. Yeah. What's a big challenge for you? Set the goal, go and do the thing. Which is kind of the way of COVID right now, right? Is with all these events and challenges, you kind of got to do that. My, my, my instructions originally was just, what do you, what's the most you've ever done? At least double it, get after it, you can do it. I know you can do it. That was the yeah. thing. Um, and then I put out this hundred and, and Benny from Anytime Fitness. I was talking to him yesterday. And he goes, he goes to me, yeah, we're in. We're doing the 400. I was like, what? <laughs> it's like six weeks before or something. And he's like, yeah, yeah, What's the course? I was like, man, I don't have a course. I didn't even have a course for me. The idea for me was just, I was going to look at my watch and I was going to run until it was done. Yeah. That was my plan. And when he said that, I was like, oh, I've, got to do, I've got to do something for these guys. I've got to help yeah. them out. So there was never supposed to be a course. It was an unofficial thing. I was doing my own thing. Um, and all of a sudden I had to make something. Um, yeah. So it, there was no, there was no, I gave them the course. They'd seen it, a lot of them. And it was like, start when you want. They started the day before. Yeah. Um, the first guy to finish a hundred K's on the day, Caleb, he started like 1 PM the day before on the Saturday okay. and finish until like the afternoon the next day. It's gone 28 That's hours. Crazy. Yeah. 28 hours <laughs> nuts so you chose whatever you thought was going to be the best for you is what you did and a lot of people started the day before yeah through the night. so do people have like little setups to sleep down the bottom of the course and you put your you, generally what people did is you put your um, car at the start yeah and then there's one point that you kept reaching the road like you each lap was 25 kilometers roughly yeah you started at, at um, one side of Mount Kira and then three times you would hit the road up um, on Harry Graham Drive um, okay and so they would leave supplies up there. So they'd split their cars and sort of yeah. fill their pack. But for me, my challenge was that I wanted to replicate that, that one-day race that they used to do in Kokoda. So I had to have everything on my back. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have any, drop, um, any drops except for there was waters in my car because you can, along the way in, in that, for that challenge that was however many years ago, you could get water... I'd okay. along the way and lollies and bananas. So in my car, there was bananas, some lollies and um, actually no lollies um, and, and water. And then yeah. I could get lollies off other people. That was my... Okay, I like that. that. my rules for myself. And I no like poles. That. I wasn't allowed to have poles because I contacted the, the two guys who, who had the Aussie record. They didn't use poles. So I was like, all right, let's do it. That's awesome, bro. That's awesome. What's the, what's the headspace like? You're on the course... You know, after that first lap, you're 25Ks in, you're, you know, 25% of the way there. And how does the body feel and how does it then start to play with your head positively or negatively? What's possible and what's capable for this event? 25Ks sucked this time, man, because I, I was doing my training for the last section when I was ramping up. I was doing four. I was doing a loop four times a week, so 25K loop, the exact loop that I was going to be doing four times a week. And so I knew what it felt like, even on tired legs, because a lot of times that'd be two days in a row. And 
I'm in my first lap. I'm probably 15, 20 Ks in and I feel in my left knee. And I was like, nah, this is too early. Like I, I know the pain's going to come in the knees because I know what it's like once you yeah. get up to heavy. You have it's at 75. You, yeah, you, you, you don't want to be feeling it for a while. I actually expected my hamstring, which was having a lot of troubles in the lead up to, to go. Um, even days before I was having issues with it, trying to work it out, just thinking that's going to be the thing, that's going to be the thing. That usually starts to go around 30, 35. Wasn't feeling that, feeling, feeling my knee, both knees, but especially the left at like 15, 20. Meanwhile, I lose um, Rod, who's like, he's, he's done ultra running before to knee problems. We lose Benny at 50Ks to a meniscus Yeah, he problem. was devastated too. We're losing people for, for knee problems all over the joint and I'm starting to feel my knee. And I was just like, oh man, this is gonna, it's okay now, it hurts, um, but this is gonna be real bad soon. Magically, 25 to 50 was like, it kind of started to, it didn't get worse. So it was there, yeah. but it didn't get worse. I was like, okay, all right, we're, we're looking good here. But 50 to 75, the wheels started to fall off big time. Yeah. In all sorts of ways. Now, when I spoke to Benny, I think he said he's seen you, could get this wrong, he said around 75Ks in was the last time he seen you. Yeah. And he said, bro, he just looked delirious. <laughs> but he was still moving. Yeah. To, like, how, how do you battle through that? Because that's, you know, it's almost like you're out of your head at that stage. Your body's just yeah. on autopilot doing what it's got to do and you're kind of disconnected. Did you feel like that? There was never, I don't think there was even one point ever where I considered quitting. Yeah. Not, not even one. The problem was this, I'll be honest, for the whole time from about 60Ks, I was just thinking about how much it sucked. Mm. <laughs> like, this sucks. And I, and I know I have to finish. Yeah. <laughs> There is no way I can stop this sucking until I finish. Yeah. And at 60, it was about at 60Ks, it was getting real hot out there. Mm. It was a hot weekend, bro. I got a bald head and I didn't have sunscreen on and I didn't have a hat. I had a hat, I didn't have it on. Because I was like, oh, we're in the shade a fair bit, you know, a little bit of sun. Like I wasn't really, it was stupid. But I was getting sunstroke without realizing it. Yeah. I thought I was getting tired. And, it, and as I was getting delirious, when I, you sort of don't realize sometimes, but then I, when I was getting proper delirious, when stuff was like, oh, and I, I realized when I would talk to people, I was like, oh, right, hat, should put that on. Yeah. And then I put the hat on and I started to hydrate a little bit more, like up the hydration, like really force myself to drink a bit more. And, um, and I started to come a little bit good again, but I'd already lost so much from that, from that kind of heat stroke. Yeah. That when he would have seen me, when a lot of people saw me, actually some people from my gym was like, yeah, when we saw you, we, didn't really, we were a bit worried about you. You sort of seemed all over the place. And I remember seeing all those people and being like, oh, like, yeah. you don't know what keep you're going. Yeah. <laughs> like I just sort of just autopilot. Um, yeah, so that was, that, was, that was tough. That whole period from like 60Ks to 75 was like delirium. And then 75Ks, I didn't feel um, delirious in that way anymore. Sunstroke delirium, but that was real fatigue setting in and some epic pain. Yeah. 
some epic pain from 75. At what point, you know, I, th- I think if you're listening to this and you've ever been into physically challenging yourself or even mentally challenging yourself and you know that in any point of a really tough task or challenge, I feel like there's that one moment where you hit a certain point and you go, I'm home and hosed here, I've got this. Was there that point or are you so far out of it that you're just still grinding until that last K? Man, maybe 500 metres from the end. Yeah. I put on this song by J.P. Cooper, All This Love, um, and I'm just, just belting it out at the top of my lungs Yeah. while I was shuffling down this road to meet my boy Darby, who was the only one left, <laughs> the yeah. only one there to, to see me at the end. Um, yeah, never. It was just... Like, again, like I said, I knew the whole time I was going to finish. So I did know that. Yeah. But because it was every step was so painful, when, you, when you're 10Ks out, like you got, even right now, crippled knees. Yeah. You told me I had to go 10Ks. I'd be like, sweet, let's do it. Yeah. Like, all good. I'll, I'll walk it. I won't, I won't go very fast. But that's not, I'm not afraid of that in any way. When you're thinking about 10Ks at that, at that time, you know that every step is going to be painful. So 10 kilometers of pain with every step is an excruciating thought. You're not like, I'll be done in 10 kilometers. You're like, oh, 10Ks. Yeah. This is the worst. Even at 5Ks. It was even at two and a half. When I knew I had two and a half Ks left and I had to shuffle that whole way, I was still like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. You're allowed, to, be done. Hey, you're allowed to say fuck. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, no, only because one. my co-founder will be okay. probably listening and she doesn't like when I swear. Okay. <laughs> I get in trouble for it too. Love it. Love you, a good fuck. You know what though? <laughs> Is there, like I can, I can imagine, I think to my event in December, right? And there's so much meaning and purpose behind it that God willing, when I cross that finish line and it will happen, I know I'm going to be emotional. Yeah. Like I know it's going to pour out because yeah. it's just all of that built up, all of the hype, all of the adrenaline, everything from the preparation, the time, all the meaningful stuff that happens along the way and that final moment when it's finally done and it's behind you now and you've conquered it. Did that just come out? Yeah, not at, not at the end. It was, 10, it was 10Ks from. So I was talking to Jackie, co-founder Jackie, um, in PNG. And she's like, oh, how are you going? I'm like, oh, Jackie. <laughs> from like 70Ks, I was like, oh, this is really hard. <laughs> yeah. I'll finish, but this is really hard. And she just kept asking me how I was going. I was like, it's really hard, it's really hard. And then at 90Ks, um, again, I was like, I'm out here alone. <laughs> Everyone's gone. And she was like... The PNG event went really well. The governor's going to support it next year. Um, you know, the sponsors are really happy. And I'm praying for you. And I was like, <gasps> and I just yeah. wept, man. I wept and I was like, ah. And I just started screaming, this is why I do it. Yeah. <laughs> to no one. This is why I do it. And I put on some music for the first time in the day. Yeah. And I was just singing, man. I was singing because I was like, I know I'm going to finish. Yeah. So if I just keep singing really loud, it takes away the, you know, all the pain for a bit. And so if anyone had to seen me that night, just out for a stroll with their dog or whatever, you would have seen a, a madman with like a bucket hat with all this <laughs> my jiu-jitsu rash vest on, like just yeah. looking like an absolute weirdo, just singing with a stick 
as a walking stick, hobbling yeah. at the top of my lungs, looking like I was the happiest man ever. You know what's all a bit confusing and scary? Buying your first home and getting your first loan approved. You see, I'm 24 and I bought my first property last year. Even as an agent at the time, there was so much I didn't know about finance because we aren't taught these things at school. You see, I'm blessed now because one of my best mates, Zachary Bidoff, is a mortgage broker. And now that I'm self-employed, I have to be smarter with my money. So I sat down with Zach to refinance my loan and to get the absolute best deal I could. And it's saving me money every week. You see, the great thing about Zach is he's 28 years old, super relatable, and he knows everything you need to about buying your first property. So whether it's pre-approval or refinancing that you need, head across to ZacharyBidoff.com or find the link in the show notes. Now you may be hearing that and thinking, I don't need a loan. Maybe you've already secured a home or investment property. I'm sure at the time you purchased that property of yours with purpose. For some, it serves as an investment. For others, it's a space that became a home for you and your family to enjoy. Whatever the reason, with each new beginning comes an end. The family grows, the next investment opportunity presents itself, or maybe it's just time to retire to a beachside apartment and enjoy your days at the local cafes. Regardless of your reason, you'll need an amazing agent to assist in the process and secure a result that allows you to financially facilitate the next purchase. My good friend Jake McKenzie is not only one of the kindest people on planet Earth, but he's a bloody great real estate agent too. A reputation built on the back of exceptional results in the Illawarra region and great morals in each of his property transactions, you can't go wrong in calling on Jake McKenzie for your next property sale. Call Jake on 0411 574 568 or head to the show notes for all of his contact details. While we're on the property train, it's a great opportunity to talk about my next sponsor. If you're looking at purchasing an apartment or selling one, you may be familiar with the idea of a strata report. It's the document that outlines all the good, the bad and the ugly within the body corporate's financial plans and all the issues that need to be addressed before you put pen to paper on a sales contract. But how do you organise that and who does it for you? Well, that's where Coastal Strata comes in. They are your go-to service in New South Wales, providing reports, bylaws and renovation approvals. For all their services, head to coastalstrata.com.au or find the link in the show notes. As you all know, I've been pushing the body to its limits, training for 42 for CF. Before I started my program, I'd never run more than 6K and within six weeks, I was able to run 25 kilometers. It's amazing to see what the body's capable of, but at the same time, with crazy progress and increased stress on the body, come some of those little injuries or little fires that need to be contained and put out, just to ensure that I keep moving in the right direction. Any runner knows that lower limb issues are almost a certainty when you lace up the sneakers and pound the pavement. That's why I reach out to a specialist to maintain my lower limb health. Sanjay Parisher is the owner and specialist at the Foot and Ankle Clinic of Australia. With his guidance, I've been able to manage my lower limb injuries to keep the ball rolling and the legs clocking over the Ks. For all you runners and athletes, head over and check out their website in the show notes or call 1300 030324 to book your appointment at one of their many locations and find the cause of your lower limb issues. 
and yeah, that was that was like that was the real emotional time. I still knew I had ten k's, and so I pushed out a few k's of like laughter and singing, and then got to my last terrible downhill, and then yeah. and then the, the 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 pain swept back into every inch of me. What's the first thing you do immediately after? Do you eat? Do you sleep? Uh, after I got past my 96Ks unassisted, yeah, I had Darby who was waiting at the, at the end with my pizza. And I was like, I just realized I was only going to do the 96Ks unassisted. I wanted to do over 100 because you're that close. Right? Yeah. I said, I've got past my 96 unassisted. Bring me that pizza. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wasn't letting anyone help me do anything. Like There was yeah. no help for any. There was massage tables. Everyone was getting massages. I wouldn't let them massage me. Like yeah. All the good stuff. I was really strict with myself. I was never, no, don't yeah. help me. Don't That's help awesome. me with the water. Nothing. I don't want anything. But I got past. I was at like 90. It would have been at like 100Ks then. And he brought up, gave me a pizza. And I smashed half a pizza in about three minutes. And I was like, all right, I'm hobbling down, taking my shoes off. I'm just hobbling all the way to the end. Got to the end and I just went, yeah, I did it. And just laid in the back of the car. And uh, I did nothing, man. I just, I, I, I couldn't, I had zero left. There yeah. was just nothing. I, if you had to ask me to walk any further, I just don't think I had it. Mm. You know, you, when you set that end goal, it's it's like once you're there, the body's like, Ew. yeah. There's a it's a weird. It's thing. very hard to move on after that. It's a it's a it's a really good reason why you should set something ahead of the, like really make sure you've done the whole thing. Like that's why yeah. I knew that my watch was always going to be under Strava, so I knew I needed to get at least a hundred on my watch. Okay. So end up getting a hundred and four, but I knew that I needed at least a hundred on my. Because Strava watch. always picks up a little bit more, doesn't it? It does, and if you listen to different people, they'll they'll say um, it's more accurate or less accurate. So I was like, well, let there be no confusion. There's, yeah. a, there's at least a hundred. Because um, we had this battle on Wednesday. I was running with a mate who doesn't have a watch, but he had Strava on his phone the whole time, and he clocked, I think, an extra one point six or one point eight. Um, yeah. And we literally ran side by side, nearly armed arm the whole way for thirty k's. That's different again, though. So he's that's that's using the GPS in his phone. And as far as I understand, so if you connect your watch with your Strava, yeah, um, it's using the GPS from your watch and then analyzing through Strava. Okay, you know what I mean. So it's not using the, it's still using the watch. Okay, but it picks up. It takes all the data and, and analyzes yeah. it differently through Strava, as far as I know. So, but it, it usually ends up being a little bit more. Okay. Um, yeah, but no, I just and we just waited, man. We waited because Kirsten was was the only female to finish. There was only three of us that that actually finished the hundred, and um, out of um, eight people trying to do the hundred, and um, she killed it, man. She was like six weeks training. Insane. Did did like 23, 23 and a half hours. Did did sub twenty four. Yeah. When you um, say Kirsten, which Kirsten? Kirsten Coggins. Any time? No, 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 no. She she was actually we were dating for a while, okay. and then and then we sort of it didn't work out, and she was like, oh, does this mean I'm I don't get to run it anymore? And I was like, well, I thought maybe you wouldn't want to run. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I want to run. I was like, that's great. Let's keep run, doing it. So we go. kept training together. She's awesome, man. She's like, amazing woman, doctor. Um, Insane. Just like really hard worker, but just like it. Kirsten's a great example of that that mind. 
Yeah. And it's like, I'm just going to do it. Two weeks before, rolled her ankle, was fat ass, couldn't walk, she was on a crutch. Yeah. Like, and then two weeks later, straps herself to... True determination, to, right? And just is like, I'm going to do it. And and even my my parents had seen her and they're like, oh, it doesn't look like she's going to make it. People would doubting her so i thought she'd quit and i was like how are you doing i i, I never gave her an out i was always yeah. waiting for her to, to see what because she... bro everyone wants the out right oh man. everyone and it's funny i was listening to the other day it was um you heard a rich roll yeah rich roll talking about when he done his five ultras in hawaii and he said you almost want family there but it's the worst decision you can make because when they're there, they give you the out because oh, they care man. about your well-being, right? They're like, oh, you know, you don't have to finish this. They're the worst. Yeah. They're the worst. My my, my old man, and, and yeah. especially my old man, but my mum and dad constantly through the whole thing yeah. were like, wow, you, you just, you don't have to do that. Just even, do 25. Even the day me. before, it was like, well, you just do what you can. I was like, no. That's yeah. it. You don't. The whole thing is that I'm doing it. Yeah. There's no stopping. You don't just do what you can. The idea is that the point is you 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 look at what you thought you could do and you and you smash that. And when you want to quit, you keep going and you just yeah. don't you don't give up. That's the whole that's the whole ultra thing. It yeah. isn't you don't run to you don't go, oh, I ran 40K, so I'll run 50Ks next time and I'll slowly No, you want to pick something that will that will stretch you. And test you. And take you through all that. So um, yeah, family. As long as you know that that's going to happen, it's all right. It's okay because you've just got to. It's just another thing you've got to bat off, though. Yeah. See, I've got my old man riding on a cycle on the day that we run. So him and, and one of my close mates are, are cycling to hold all our nutrition and our hydration. Cool. And I know that, like, he always says to me, like, make sure you're all good and you you look after yourself, but. I know on the day seeing him will remind me of that moment 22 years ago where yeah. he completed a far greater task, but it would drive me because I, I never hear the end of it. So we've got a little father-son rivalry. He still looks younger than me and he's 55, the bastard. Yeah. But we've got that little father-son rivalry where I'm like, fuck, if I don't finish this, I'm always going to think I'm so far from that 212 he completed. Is there any part of you that wants to do the 212? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Definitely. Um, I think it would be... To build efficiency and like post event build efficiency really develop my running and then go again because there's a few things i want to do post event that would kind of be counterintuitive to doing that yeah so i want to play around with you know getting a little bit stronger again and doing that sort of thing and and then going into that event yeah and um and who knows when i when i try to tackle that but i think real passion is built off the back of doing this sort of thing and and i'm keen to hear post event for you you know you've conquered as close as it gets to Kokoda right here what's the thoughts of like travel opening back up easier access to these events and these opportunities yeah going and doing that and trying to conquer it there in the homeland 100% happening yeah without a doubt unfinished business and actually this is a good training run I learned so much that, that last 25 um, kilometers as well, I messed up my nutrition because <coughs> I was trying to ca- carry everything myself. I, I didn't have enough food. I yeah. only had like powder, so like liquid yeah. energy. I, my, I couldn't stomach it. So my last 25Ks was injury, dehydrated because I couldn't consume anymore. There's a bunch of stuff I could have done differently and, and smashed that time. So I actually, 
I feel like I could be really competitive at what that Aussie record is over there, um, even with the, the challenges. So I'm keen to give that a run. What's the exact record? Aussie record is 19 hours. And what did you finish your event in? 22. 22. Yeah. I reckon with... Because you know what? That's the, I reckon the hardest bit is hydration. Yeah, man. The, well, if you look at... My, so my first 50 was um, eight and a half hours with, with, with a break. Um, yeah. So my that was pretty much my last lap. So I did my last lap in the same time as I did my first two. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, the wheels fell off. Like there's just a bunch of stuff I did wrong that I didn't need to do. I mean, I lost my headlamp because I, I didn't have a, I had a rechargeable one that went after three hours. Yeah. So I was using my phone. Like, there's a few things that I was like, okay, this is the first really big one I'd ever done. Yeah. So a lot of stuff I learned. So I'm glad it kind of happened this way, not not over there. But I'll definitely get over there. But, oh man, I've got all sorts of crazy ideas that I want to do. I want to do some real big ones. I've got to, I'm just waiting on these knees. Um, but yeah. I, want to, I want to get a 100-miler done maybe even this year. Um, not that awesome. off the list. Um, so keep, kind of, keep moving with that. And then, um, man, I looked up during all this, I looked up what's the world's craziest ultra. And... Um, there's this thing called the Red Bull X or the X Alps, X Alps. Yeah. And these guys um, and girls in, in Europe, in Switzerland, they, they're ultra runners, but they're also paragliding pilots. Okay. So what you do is you do these ultra runs, basically it's a thousand miles and they're like, right, you got to get from here to here. And so you run up these massive mountains to these launch points and you got to jump off them with your paraglide and you got to go as far as you can with your paraglide and you got to pack back up and you got to keep running so it's like you got to get from here to here go so you're, you're hiking and flying um and when i saw that it was like oh you've got to be a pilot for five years before you can enter and i was like cool all right i'll get my pilot's license then so i got this one all the way out there which is like five years away yeah. and then i just want to do um I just want to pick a bunch of things that... Your parents that are push. listening to this frag on <laughs> I won't tell them. <laughs> I don't know how to use podcast apps. Um, yeah, I, I, I just like the idea of, you know, this life, this life is long, but it's also in other ways really short, you know, so like pack it with a bunch of really cool shit. I, like I, I love the idea of being... An inspiration to my kids for them to look at at me and and go like dad got after it how old are they 10 and 7 so they fully comprehend what's happening here and man my my boy went 31ks on sunday did he actually yeah, yeah, yeah. what an achievement so what a beat, little legend he beat yours mate. he did mate he's got me covered <laughs> um now i've got unfinished business yeah though. exactly i'll get him he'll chase you um and then my daughter who's seven did 21 that's awesome um so and Look, my kids, they didn't go out there and train a, a ton for this. Like, I, I tried to explain to them. It was really important to me that they did some stuff on the same day, that they chose something just like everyone else that was really hard. And yeah. we went through the process. And I said, right, how much, how much do you want to do? Do you want to do this? And they picked their, their kilometers. And I said, once you say it, once you say it, we do it. Yeah. You know, once we commit to something, we do it. We don't just say we're going to do something. And they understood that and they said it. And 
I said, the, the less you train, the more it'll hurt. Do you understand that? So when they didn't train, they knew there was going to be consequences. consequences and there was because they should have trained more. Um, especially my boy, he really hurt. But we talked about it. You don't give up. You might get blisters. What are you going to do? I won't give up, Dad. You know? Yeah. Like, it might really hurt. Your legs will feel like falling off. What do you do? You don't give up. And I commend you for that, man, because they're yeah. some of the greatest life lessons you can have as a kid. The next day... Noel was busted, just like we were walking around Holland. Yeah. And I said to him, you gonna, so you reckon you'll do a marathon? And he was like, yeah. I was like, yes. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> That's what That's I, what I hear. like to hear. So he learned in a different way, but the same way what I did that day. And that's that, that is that pain, even when excruciating during these things, is temporary. An hour after I'd finished, I was in pain. But I was sitting there waiting for Kirsten and I, and I looked at Darby and I was like, it's just weird because like an hour ago, I was like, this pain is the worst ever. And now I'm sitting here and I'm, it's all done. It's like, it's not, I'm not traumatized. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, that thing was really tough, but it's gone. It's such a good life lesson. And to build that resilience in kids who really now can be so soft to, to help them understand like, shit's going to get hard, dude. Like, what are you going to do when it gets hard? You power through it and then it's gone. You got to, you got to be able to put, you got to be resilient. You got to understand that life can be fucked. And yeah. you you've got to be able to handle it. Say that this is fucked, rise above it, and yeah. then tomorrow's a new day. And you know the one thing I'd I'd say to anyone listening or watching on there's just something about conquering challenges that is so like it's it's so good for your personal growth. Like it's undescribable. The one thing that I realized I missed so much in my prep for my event is my competitive nature as a kid. For so long, I lacked like that, that needle, that ability to compete with people that, you know, as a kid, I was like really competitive as an athlete, sprinting, footy, beach athletics, that every weekend I was literally Saturday and Sunday going in the competition. And I love that feeling of rising. Mm. And if I didn't win... I come out of that and I wasn't a sore loser, but I was like, I learned. Yeah. Like, I don't like that feeling and I don't, I don't yeah, want to go yeah. back to that feeling. And you're not necessarily competing against anyone when you're out there, but you're competing against yourself. Yeah. And that feeling of conquering each new challenge or even sometimes failing and knowing that you've got to go back and conquer that again, that's the best feeling. I'd like anyone listening, just find something to work towards. Yeah. Because it will honestly it will change your life. I think conquering yourself is even more satisfying. Definitely. You know, you get this real short-term buzz from beating beating others, but I think, well, I think you can even emulate that on your own because you can be out there. Some days you can be out there and you can just, you could say it out loud and sometimes I do. It's like, where where are these motherfuckers? Yeah. Where's everyone else right now? You're here. Yeah. You're up the mountain. You're down the mountain. Like, where are they? You know, yeah. This is, you, you're feeding off that idea that you're out there and you're putting in the work. Yeah. Like I knew I would see people on that mountain falling apart. I knew yeah. it. And I, was, and I was saying to them, and I was saying out loud, I'm going to feed off your pain yeah. because I know I'm here doing the work. Yeah. And that's going to feed me. So you, you can conquer others even on your own. You can, you can make up little enemies if that helps you. But just conquering your own little, little goals, like doing a little bit faster, pushing a little bit further, like... You can do that every single day. The competition, always when I'm coaching, always when I'm leading, it's always about 
there is only one person you're competing against. It is there's you, there's yourself and you trying to be a better version of yourself. Yeah. Always looking to get better. Here you are now. What can you do to, to to step to the next level? That's the competition. You're trying to beat you're trying to beat yourself now. You're trying to recreate yourself anew and become that new version. And when you level up again, you're like, all right, here we are. All right, time to level up again. Yeah. This person I am right now, I'm going to beat him on the mountain or on the track or wherever it is, and I get to become this new person. How fucking cool is that? That's the best. And you know, it's great for me. It's gratitude to, you know, I'm out there, and the one thing, I, or whenever I feel it and I feel sorry for myself, I always say, "You're blessed to be here. You're blessed yeah. to be healthy." And there's so many people right now that are sitting in a hospital bed and yeah. way worse off than you that would love to be feeling this pain right now. Especially now. Yeah. You know, like for you, you have a specific thing that would be there yeah. regardless, but we're talking about, you know, a world where, where people are kept indoors, COVID's doing this and that. Um, gratitude's massive for me, man. In my meditation, in my running, when, I'm, when I get caught, I, I spend a whole day sometimes like, woe is me, and I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Yeah, you you get to run in the mountain. We are. I'm sure there's a there's a few Wollongong folks listening. Like, Definitely. If you if you ain't getting out and understanding that we've had some of the most freedom in this whole globe, and that we've been so blessed, and that we're blessed by this this place, these mountains, this water, like, do some do yourself a favor, do some meditation, finish it with gratitude. If you're not feeling it, fake it because it'll come. Think about your family. Think about your dog. Think about the sunshine, the mountains, the water, the fact that you got roads and police. Like there's, there's literally you could just sit there and list things. What we have here in this part of the world is astounding. We are blessed, very so, blessed. So so blessed. Bloody love this town. What's your biggest fear in life? Is it regret? I feel like it'd be something along those lines. <sighs> regret. Um, no, it is. Biggest fear. Because I feel like you're one of those guys that you just set it there, packing everything into this life and making it as incredible as possible. And, you know, one thing that we don't have in this life is certainty. Yeah. And we definitely don't appreciate the power of time. Mm. And I think, you know, I sense that you're one of those guys that this will never stop. I, I'm a pretty extreme dude. Um, but actually, my biggest fear is probably not being a great father um or it's probably around it's probably around fatherhood to be honest i feel like family has has become and is family in at all different levels my relationships again i talk about my organization as a family uh the people close to me i feel like a family but definitely as a father I think, um, like, why are we here? My life's purpose. I've always been a really driven person to do good for the world. I think life is all about helping other people live to their potential and find happiness and purpose. Yeah. And it's about making babies. Yeah. <laughs> it's about bringing... What I mean by that is it's about bringing life into the world or supporting, supporting life yeah. to thrive flourish and those two things are the same like um you know you you can you can help bring children into this life or you can help guide young people or you can help your friends or your or your parents or you can 
you can create this this feeling of good and, and well-being in others or you can help be part of that um, and I don't I don't know what else we, we would be doing here like I don't know uh, so much power in it right the power to serve others and yeah. there is you know I, I spoke about it yesterday in a podcast I've like I've earned like basically zero dollars I've earned about 600 bucks maybe a grand mm. in the last seven months of my life if I'd stayed in my job in April and didn't quit I'd literally be probably 50 to 70 grand better off right now yeah. but I wouldn't change it for the world there is something so much more satisfying yeah. about that one single message or that you know that many that you get where you know that some person has been positively impacted by something you said or something you've done yeah or something that you're putting out there in the world, that that feeling is potentially the most infectious and great feeling that you can ever have. Just the ability to, to somehow inspire someone or impact them in the right way. Yeah. That there's something to be said for it. It's like a drug. 100%. There's, there's this correlation between, uh, I think, like parenting, parenthood, and, and just generally trying to do good for the world. And I think that, if you're willing to put up with 95% struggle, just put that as a, as a uh, percentage and for things to be hard, but for the 5% that it's not, that those glory bits that you get, that absolute warmth that you get through your blood and that, that, that the times that you cry from being proud or, or, or whatever it is, or just like, fuck, like life is amazing. Like, I think that's what it's all about. Like parenting, especially in the first five years, is like it's like all hard, and people are like, "What? Why would you want to do that? It's such a weird thing." And then it's because of the those times when you see these uh, these things crystallize, and you realize why you're doing all the hard work. Yeah. And it's the same thing with ultras, and it's the same. Like it's not you don't go out and 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 run constantly all the time up and down hills and be like, "This is great, yeah, yeah, yeah." Like people think, "Oh, you must really love that." It's like that's not the thing. Yeah. It's actually you are you have chosen a thing of purpose so the hard makes sense. You st- it's not 100% hard. A lot of times it, there's there's actually like the kind of stuff I have to do my work in PNG is a lot of the time boring as hell and I sit at, behind a desk and I'm wondering what the hell I'm doing. And then we get a message that we've supported a kid get out of an abusive home, you know, and I go that's why we do it. That's awesome. Get a little snippet here. That's why. Remember that. That's why you do it. So if you if you if you understand that, you don't go through life hating the fact like oh I'm trying to help people and oh it's just, it's just it's so hard. Like you, you don't become that yeah. victim. You're like no no this is hard. I signed up for life. Yeah. Life's fucking hard. If you is. have it in your head, it's that expectation is that looking down like we're talking about and thinking you've done twenty k's but it's only thirteen. Yeah. Instead, if you have the expectation it's going to be ninety five percent hard, and it's less hard than good for you 100% but if you understand it's going to be hard no matter where you are because we find problems it doesn't matter if we're in Wollongong or, or if we're in prison you know like our the human mind finds problems Definitely. if you're willing for it to be 95% hard and 5% good then that, that's sort of my philosophy on it yeah I love that now we've spoken a lot of you know personal and physical achievement and conquering amazing challenges we've spoken the inspirational side of things, the mental side of things. But I want to really touch on, you know, the motive behind all this was to raise money for your cause. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about your, 
your foundation, talk to me about your businesses, everything else that you're doing in life because you wear many hats. Yeah. Yeah, so Equal Playing Field, I'm the co-founder of Equal Playing Field. Uh, It used to be called Rugby League Against Violence many many years ago. We've been going nearly 10 years. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, We started off as two volunteers that met sort of randomly in, in India of all places. Jackie and I could not be more different. I'm a bit of a wild man. Uh, white, as people can see that are watching at home. And, and, and Jackie is from, she's a Buen Nasiwaimeri, which means uh, a, a woman from, uh, from Buen and Siwa in, in Bougainville. Um, and he's very black, as black as you can get. Extremely Christian, really disciplined, but found this common cause of wanting to reduce violence against women originally. We then realised there was no prevention activities whatsoever in Papua New Guinea for preventing <coughs> violence against women, yet it had the highest rates of violence against women anywhere in the world that wow. wasn't, wasn't in, a, in a war at that, at that time. So the only place that Medicine Sans Frontiers, Doctors Without Borders, ever said had an epidemic of violence it was, it was so profound that they only usually work in places where there's epidemics. They said, it is an epidemic of violence. We have to go and work there. So the only time in their history that they've done that. Wow. Really horrendous stuff. Small girls being gang raped, like really horrible things. So we saw that there was no prevention and, and we went in and really developed uh, work with young people. Um, in schools to help them understand what a healthy relationship was between a, a man and a woman. We used kind of sport and metaphors to, to do education and then get the boys and girls to play together. And that was the, our first sort of big thing that got, got funded. Um, again, two volunteers. We were volunteers for the first three or four years. I would go back and forth from Australia trying to make it happen, sleeping in slums, trying to learn the language, seeing some yeah. wild shit. Uh, and... We've just slowly progressed to, to become one of the largest local organisations in the country. We realised that there was huge child protection issues. Um, child violence, is, uh, violence against children is massive, again, real big problem in, in PNG. Uh, the mechanisms to support kids to get out of homes or, or, or to make reports, it's non-existent. So we started working on that stuff and now we're really working in the child protection systems within uh, Papua New Guinea, we're the only organisation that's mandated to deliver the the uh, national training from the from the Department of uh, from the National Office of Family and Children's Services. We work in uh, teachers' colleges, trying to help teachers learn child protection because they've got no child protection training. Um, work in communities. We do a bunch of stuff in in Bougainville, like I said um, before we started working with. Um, post-conflict people from post-conflict populations helping them understand that they can be victims of their circumstance of the of the war of all the um, destruction that happened in their place or they can rise above that and be victorious and we teach them personal development it starts like sort of jordan peterson style like make your bed (laughs) yeah push-ups every day they set goals they tick them off and as they develop they look at responsibility for themselves responsibility for their family and then responsibility for community and we've had um, groups creating peanut farms trout farms cooperatives to help widows in their community um, clean up their community like amazing stuff from 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 zero to to all this great stuff Um, we've been really blessed to 
to branch from an organization that worked on violence against women and children to work really broadly across a bunch of critical um, health and development challenges, really trying to take the, the view that real development is about giving people the skills to help themselves, not handing out some money, not here's this thing yeah. for three years and now we're gone. It's what do you think your problems are? How do you think we can solve them? And we'll give you the skills to, to try and, to try and make that them. happen. Um, which you, you would think that that's how this stuff is done and it, and it usually isn't. Um, so our, our work in, in PNG, I'm really, really proud of it. We're now I'm set up a, an Australian office and I hope to bring a lot of that stuff here now. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of work in, in also this, this health space. I mean, as you would see here, there's a real problem in PNG with massive levels of um, people drinking Coke and Sprite and the levels of sugar content that they consume yeah. is is going to create a, a, a malnutrition pandemic, a, a epidemic in, in years to come and stunt the growth of their next generation of leaders. It is really devastating. There's 30-year-olds getting limbs chopped off from diabetes. Oh, wow. uh, there's no regulation the ancestral way of eating has been completely destroyed by processed cheap foods that are, that are coming in from outside of the country um, without regulation and no knowledge around nutrition and a bunch of ancestral knowledge around eating and eating well is disappearing so that's a huge focus for us and it should be a focus here as well i mean Definitely. we see we see it in the wellness movement this whole idea of you know paleo and primal eating and all this stuff and and actually in png it was only a generation ago. Here, we've it's it's a few generations removed, yeah. but it's just as important here. Our kids shouldn't be consuming these levels of sugar. They shouldn't be consuming these, these levels of shit in their diet. Um, so that's a focus for us here as well. And then um, guerrilla development is the uh, my I guess my for profit business, but still for purpose, which is all about finding a niche in in corporate training where. We work with teams, corporates on mindfulness, on movement patterns, and then once teams are breathing and sweating together and building that that team unity, we work through uh, collaborative design approaches so so that the the quiet ones can be just as loud as the loud ones, yeah. and they can look at business challenges like an issue of culture, bullying perhaps, or maybe it's a sales target issue or whatever it might be and actually work collaboratively to to help um, solve that as a team. So um, That's incredible, mate. A whole heap of purpose in everything that you're doing, which I love. Everything has to be. I find that I fall apart completely when it's not. If, I, if I'm ever around something that doesn't have at its focus um, building positive impact for people, I can't, I can't do it. So the work that Guerrilla Development will do will help support the work that Equal Playing Field does. Um, it will, um, it will, everything I do will always kind of feed back into, into trying to do good work and that way I can stay in integrity with, with my values. Can I ask a question back on Equal Playing Field? Yeah. Obviously, you know, you said that first passion was doing something about violence against women. Then they come in to play with the kids as well. Why Papua New Guinea? Obviously, that's Jackie's background, but you're obviously... Do you have some sort of connection to that land and those people prior? 
No, never. No. That's um, a really selfless thing to do that, you know, to go outside of your own backyard mm. and serve first. Yeah. Look, I think in all honesty, if it had been easier to do the work here, I probably would have as well. Um, yeah. I saw PNG being a really good opportunity because I had a bit of a background in rugby league and they love rugby league there. Yeah, so they do. I saw that opportunity. Bro, have you seen the footage of them playing? Oh, man, I've played. They're, they're <laughs> nutcases. I've played over there. I, um, Bro, they can hit. It's the last time, the only time I've really played in 10 years, I played over there, scared the shit out of me just yeah. this year. Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, they just, you just belt each other. Yeah. Yeah, big hits. Um, and you don't wear mouth guards. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I got insurance the day before. I got travel insurance the day before I, I did. I did Smart that. man. I called up my mate and I said, can you can you get me some travel insurance? I'm going to play footy tomorrow without yeah. a mouth guard. So, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, <laughs> what did you ask me? Sorry. Just about serving not in your own backyard. Yeah. First, but in, in New Guinea. Look, there's a... I've worked with some indigenous communities here in Australia and some other things yeah. over the years and, and it's really hard to, there's so much trauma around uh, what happened in our past here that that's yeah. a space that I wanted to work in. Um, but it's not an easy, there's not an easy entry. So yeah. I had to go, I had to go away to do the type of work I felt was really necessary to be able to now come back. And so I think that in a, in a very different way than development is usually done. Development is usually the developed country helps to develop the developing. I think we have a ton of stuff that is extremely relevant for remote communities, not just indigenous communities, but especially um, remote and rural communities where we can take the content that we've built over 10 years, the really great stuff, and we can um, adapt it for Australian communities. So it was easier to go over there that's the honest truth. Yeah. It wasn't um, It wasn't some big selfless act of saying, oh, it's going to be harder. It was like, well, that's where I can... My, my philosophy in the beginning and still is, you should, you should do... You should go where you're of most service. So I didn't really... I wasn't super interested in the, in the violence against women stuff, but I knew it was the, the biggest issue that needed to be addressing in PNG. Yeah. Um, still of interest to me, but I was into maternal and child health and like saving babies. Um, that's what I wanted to do. But, um, and I'd given up rugby league. I wasn't coaching anymore. Yeah. I I didn't, I was like, Oh, I'm done with that. Not going to deal with that anymore. But I saw this opportunity to use it. So PNG made sense because it was where I could, make the most impact definitely that's awesome to hear hey if someone's listening to this or watching this right now and you could give them just one takeaway or you wanted them to have one takeaway from this whole thing what would it be man you put me on the spot there well i don't listen to rules so just rattle off a few um (laughs) we mentioned one before when i thought we were recording uh on the on the personal side my first jiu-jitsu coach one day when i turned up to to class i was really bummed and i didn't want to be there and i said to him oh man i'm just gonna go home and he looked me in the eyes and he said these are the days that you must and it hit me like a shot i was about six years ago and i hear that and i say that to others 
every time I'm having a bit of a slow day and I don't want to turn up to the gym, I don't want to go up the mountain or whatever, I hear that voice like, no, these are the days you've got to push through. So on a personal level, uh, so on, on, a, on a physical level, I think that's really important and, and the mental game. On a purpose level, uh, it's just that. It's find your, find your purpose. For me, it's about doing good in the world and just lean into it. I, I hope that that's more people's purpose. Just get out there, be of service to others and have, let that come back to you how that feels when you're truly in service for others not to get it back but you're in service to others to be in service to them and, and make their life better if you were genuine in that it will come back to you 100% agree with you mate I think awesome words to leave this off on Adam you're not only one crazy motherfucker but you're a very good human and I congratulate you on all the success that you're having with all of your foundation your business but also with this amazing event that you've just conquered. And I look forward to following on and seeing exactly what happens next as all the pieces unfold. Where can everyone follow you and be a part of the journey? Uh, on socials, Guerrilla Development is the business. Equal Playing Field is the organisation. I'm still Kokoda in a day on um, uh, Adam Everill or at Kokoda in a day on Insta. Uh, yeah, grab all the socials. You can take them and put them in. I will. I'll put them in the show notes. Jump on, connect. Uh, always happy to, to talk to people, especially if you want to do uh, some good for your community or even for yourself and you want to have a chat. I'm, I'm always really happy to, especially to talk to big thinkers. I'm, I'm always keen to help people, um, nudge them along and, and help them do things for, for others. Also, if you're, a, if you're an athlete um, or if you're struggling with um, obesity, uh, pre-diabetic um, I'm starting in a couple of weeks uh, I have one of the only uh, mobile metabolic um, testing units uh, awesome. coming online as part of Gorilla Development so if you remember Ivan Drago from Rocky yeah. 304 when he had the big thing in the tube coming out yeah. so imagine that um, to really give a, a, a scientific understanding of, of how you can find your physiological limitations that are preventing you from performing at your best or preventing you from dropping the weight that you need to be healthy. Um, so if you jump on Guerrilla Development, you'll see all that stuff come online soon. Um, so that's a bit of a plug for the business. And also, just I coach for fun at, at Ghetto Movement. I really like to coach boxing. Oh, good so cruise, hey. I'll give a plug to my gym, my community. Um, that's where my office is as well. Yeah. So... Come on down, have a box. Bunch of good lads, hey. Yeah, really good lads. For sure. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Did it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, watching, if you've been a part of this experience, I ask you to get involved, pick up that phone, punch in your passcode and follow this guy on socials. But also, subscribe to the show. Leave a comment, a review. I love it when I get reviews. We've got that perfect five-star rating, which may not hang on forever. But there's 87 of you good humans that have given it a five-star review, which really does help the show grow and develop and move into that next stage and that next level. So I appreciate you all. Big love. Thanks for listening in. And we'll always be dropping plenty of good content to come in the future. You'll hear from us soon.
Alrighty, g'day guys and welcome to the Bradley J Drive.